Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Friend of Songs, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. Do you know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I don't want to talk to you. Hey, I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do. Have kids, go live my chip and joy in the games like out here in Texas or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. David Bellard, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-host, Fellas. How y'all feeling? What's good? What's good? It's your boy, Jalen, checking in, man. I'm feeling good, man. How the rest of y'all doing, bro? What's good, Kelly, checking in. How you doing, Jared? My bad, bro. What's good? What's good, y'all? I'm checking in, man. Chilling, man. Chilling on this good Saturday. I'm finally getting some good weather. Hey, that's so true, bro. It probably does look good outside because it was ugly. Looking bad out here in Louisiana. Oh, we. We're dealing with some snow out here in West Texas. Yeah, Kelly, you've been having a terrible week. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but once again, y'all, yet another very special episode. We got a brother out of South Carolina. Yeah. Killing it in the real estate game. Uh, it goes by the real estate shark on Instagram. It's the Josh Jennings. Josh, how you feeling, bro? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, man. How you guys doing? We're good, bro. Man, appreciate you for coming on, bro. Oh, man, no doubt, man. I'm honored, man. I'm honored to be on you guys' show, man. Yes, sir, man. And just want to let y'all know he ain't got that name, the shark for nothing, man. Yeah. Like, he really fun <laughs> hard, bro. And he was just talking to us off camera. It's just really some dope things that, like, what he was doing, bro. So. We're really just going to let it hop into, can you tell the audience, how'd you get started? How did you become the real estate shark? Well, man, so basically, man, how I got started was when I was 28 years old, I just made a mind shift and I pretty much started sacrificing, man, uh, when it came to knowing where I wanted to be in life. When I realized that nothing was going to be handed to me, that's when I realized that, hey, man, it's going to be 
either I'm going to get it or I'm going to just kick over and fold over, you know, and kick over and fold over. I was not going to go for that. So anyway, I was working a lot of dead end jobs, you know, like manufacturing plants and basically they can fire you when they get ready and let you go and all that good stuff. And so I just started, man, by investing in real estate, becoming a buy and hold investor. I pretty much knew if I got to four properties that I was going to be pretty much averaging, you know, $700 a week. And then I wouldn't have to be scared or fearful no more about getting, you know, uh, fired from a job or whatnot. But as far as the sacrificing part of it, I remember working three jobs at one time, just sacrificing, working and busting my behind, man, going to work. And I got to the point where I knew that it was going to be around, I say, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars in order for me to buy my first investment property. You know, I'm not talking about leveraging. So what I did was when I went on sacrifice mode, I didn't buy no more clothes, mm-hmm. I didn't buy no more shoes, I didn't celebrate no birthdays, I didn't celebrate no Christmas. I got off of Instagram. No, I wasn't even on Instagram then. I just got on Instagram, I think last year. But I got off social media, Facebook, got off everything. I was just in my own little cocoon. Mm-hmm. But what I was doing was I was grinding and I was saving $300 a week. Now, mind you, at the same time, I was in school, uh, going to school for a maintenance degree, for well, maintenance certification. And I'm in school. I'm saving my money. I'm saving $300 a week. At this particular time, my paycheck wasn't about $475 with all the jobs pretty much combined. It's about $475 a week. So I'm living off $175 a week. You know, that's why I told myself, you know, it had to be pretty much death in order for me to, to dig into the $300 a week pot, you know. So I was going to school at the same time. You know, when you get your refund money, when I got my refund money, you're talking about $1,200, $1,300. I was putting that on top of the $300. I continued to put the $300 up for a whole year along with my school money, my refund money. And I was able to save up about $22,000 my first year. And after that, I bought my first real estate investment property for $9,500 off a website called uh, auction.com. Now, I bought my first property. It was a four-bedroom, two-bath property. And it took a good bit of work because they had done pulled all the electrical wiring out, holes in the wall. You know, it was pretty beat up. But it was my first property. So I was excited. You know what I mean? So I spent about $19,000 out the little $22,000 that I had saved up. So basically what I did then was I put a Section 8 tenant in the property. And mind you, while I was a Section 8 tenant myself, I was <laughs> I was Section 8 renting out a Section 8 property. Now, <laughs> I did the same thing again the next year. I saved my money. I was going to school. And um, I saved up again about $24,000. I bought my next property from a local foreclosure auction that we have at the courthouse in this particular market. That's mm-hmm. the first Monday of every month. So now I got two properties and I'm excited. I got a tenant in this particular property for $600 a month. I got one in my first property for $700 a month. So then what I, what I quickly realized is, hold up, I'm basically going broke buying these properties. I'm using all my cash to buy these properties. Then I realized how to start using other people's money, OPM. So what I did was I cash out refinanced both of those properties because I owned them all cash. I owned them all outright. I didn't owe anybody. 
So I cash out, refinance both of those two properties. I put $120,000 in my pocket. And then from that point on, everything else was just uphill. I went out and bought four more rental properties, all cash. And then I continued to, you know, keep going and keep growing. And that's how I was able to build, you know, my portfolio with over, tw- you know, 28 properties now. Hey, I told y'all you was hungry, bro. I man. told you. <laughs> yeah, man, it's like so much. We got to go back. Hey, I, bought, hey, I bought my first property online at auction.com and I was in class looking at my professor. I'm looking at my phone. He up there teaching and I bought my first property. And when they told me that you won the auction, I ran out the classroom. I think you probably thought I had to go to the restroom or something, but I went out. I was so excited because you said you are the winning bidder. And Man, I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to act, man. After that, wow, that's crazy, bro. Man, one thing before we go into anything, bro. Like I know y'all just heard this amazing story, and I know y'all heard how this played out for my brother. But I don't want anybody to pass over the fuck we talking about. Then sacrifice everything, then staying in your own lane. That shit's so major, man. Yeah, it was. It was a real sacrifice, man. I'm talking about. (laughs) <laughs> not buying no clothes, no shoes, not celebrating nothing. I mean, um, going to get a dollar burger if I had to, to try to make it. My girlfriend at the time, she was on food stamps. So that's how we was, you know, I was staying, basically staying with her. You know how that worked with the food stamp, Section 8, all that kind of stuff. So I was just staying with her, basically. And I told her that we weren't going to be celebrating no more birthdays, no Christmas, no nothing. I mean, she my wife now. And it was all worth the sacrifice. It was all worth the grind because she was right there with me. And, you know, she didn't see it was it's so hard because the first thing other women see is that friends going on vacation and friends going on trips. And you as a man, you see your buddies going on trips and vacation and things of that nature. And you have to be so focused, man, and so aware because you got to know pretty much where you're headed, you know, where you're going. And you can't worry about what your friends telling you or what your friends saying, hey, man, we're going to the club tonight. Do you want to come hang out? It's a lot, man. You're going to lose some friends in the process because your vision is just so, it's just so much out there, you know, till it's just ridiculous. And a lot of people, they never change their ways. They'll continue to live the same way over and over, year in, year out. Ten years later, they're doing the same thing. And you just, you know, you can't think the same. You have to be able to elevate yourself. So, did you initially... Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Get some backlash from her from, for that, though. From like, which one? Did you have, uh, whenever you told, like, broke it down to, like, look, this is what we about to do. Like, because I know women i know it's it's not just that's just not, <laughs> right right hey let's right. do it. <laughs> yeah, it was, i mean it was not that simple i wish she was here now she actually on the way she actually headed here but um no it was a battle not too too bad but it was a battle pretty much throughout the process because we got to the point where i had to actually sit her down at the table and explain pretty much year by year what my vision was and once she saw Okay, man, he bought the first property. Okay, another property. Now it's another property. So she know I wasn't just sacrificing for nothing. So if you once you can see it and touch it, she then realized this man is for real. You know, and then I wasn't at that time I wasn't going out buying nothing. No Gucci, no new car, no nothing. I had two old cars, I had an old Cadillac that was paid off, and I had an old Taurus that was paid off. 
but I'm looking at these young guys and older guys and, you know, people pull up beside you, but you you in this old car with no air conditioner, no heat. But it's uh, to me, it was just a sacrifice and a grind. And I mean, you look at other people, they pull up beside you in the new cars, you like, you know, I salute you, but you have a bigger vision, man. You have a bigger goal at hand. And once everything started turning, man, it was just, it was just ridiculous. It only took me really one year of sacrifice. Man. You talked about I'm talking, about, I'm talking about analyzing everything. I mean, analyzing all your bills. The mm. bills that, that you have that don't make sense, get them out of there. It don't even matter. Live off the bare minimum. Save as much as you can save and have a vision and gain knowledge at the same time while you're saving your money. This man is preaching right here. Kelly, what you add? You talked about like uh, buying the property on auction.com. How did you hear about auction.com? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing that you can just go online and find an auction. I think nobody never told me about auction.com. I think it was more so of a, a going online and uh, checking out just online auctions, see if that even exists. And then once I find that one out, I find out about auction.com. I find out about hubzoo.com. I find out about exome.com. find out about hudsonandmarshall.com. So it's a lot of online platforms that a lot of older investors, they don't deal with as far as in my markets. A lot of time when I bid on properties online, it's pretty much me and maybe one other person. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a whole lot of competition. And I think that's so beautiful because you're not dealing with agents. You're not dealing with a real estate agent that can up the price because they want a higher commission. These are basically just what the bank want. They want their reserve met. And a lot of times you can get properties without the reserve being met. Reserve is pretty much what the lowest the bank would take for it. And you will see that on auction.com, you know, once you sign up. So how do you learn? Like what made you say, okay, real estate is the way I want to get out. And what did that, that self, educating process look like for you? So I say real estate was going to be my way. So, man, I just remember sitting in the car crying and trying to figure out what I can do with my life. Because basically I was playing uh, minor league baseball before I hurt my shoulder. And um, I always just wanted to get back to that mold, to that level. And, and I know that the biggest thing out there would have been real estate. You know, that's the biggest thing to me at that time in my way of thinking it wasn't no other career that I could get into that would be able to put me in a position I mean now as far as basically being retired, you know. But I just went for it, man. I mean, I just went for it, and, and I had confidence in learning, and I just knew where I wanted to be. You know, I knew I wanted out of life, and it wasn't working a job, you know, until I'm 62 or 63. That was just, that was just something okay. that I didn't want to do, you know. What you got, Jared? I also I, I have a question about it. So when you uh when you were telling us a story earlier, you were saying that you rented your house out the first rental out to Section Eight. What mm -hmm. made you want to do Section Eight versus just regular conventional rent it out? Because a lot of people, you know, they have you know preconceived notions. Let me put it like that about Section Eight renters. Right, right. To be honest with you, I think maybe that was at that time was like a first come first serve type deal. And she pretty much called me up and she said, I got a voucher and the voucher is $700 a month. And she told me she had a voucher. She came out, looked at the property. Then the Section 8 people, they came out to uh, make sure the house met code and all that good stuff. And that was pretty much it, man. I just went with it, you know. 
Um, more so like a first come, first serve. I felt like the uh, Section 8 tennis was already screened by Section 8 already, and they already was admitted into the program. So I just went ahead and just, just went with it. I think it was more so first person that could put some money in my pocket. Let's see how, you know, how we can get this thing started type deal. Yeah, man. Yeah, I like that mentality because that's something that a lot of people are scared to do whenever with a lot of stuff. Like, just when, especially in real estate, they're scared to take that first deal with their money, just trying to opt for looking for better, looking for more, trying to get greedy. Like, mm-hmm. fuck it. Just whoever is the first person that got it, let me take it. Let me get my feet wet so I know what I'm doing. Right, right. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. That tenant is still into that property right now. Damn. And she, only paid, she only paid $211 a month, Damn. but Section 8 paid the rest for her. That's crazy. So, like, how long ago was that? How many years ago? This is about eight years ago. Man. Eight years ago. And the thing is, I take care of my tenants, man. It's crazy. I take care of them. Christmas time come. Depends. If they, if they rent a whole year and pay their rent on time, Christmas time, I don't charge them at all. I let them have the whole month off for Christmas. So they can use That's that money for the kids. You know, then that's pretty much the agreement that I have pretty much with all the tenants. If I don't have no, in other words, if I had to spend a whole lot of money on you and you're making your money, uh, your rent on time, paying your rent on time, you get the whole month off of December, you know, and they love that. I treat them with the utmost respect. Anytime we have any problems, issues, anytime I get a phone call, I mean, I have somebody there, Johnny on the spot, getting a job done, getting it fixed. And you know, they just appreciate. I don't look at them as tenants. I look at them as an extended family because <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in somewhere that's treated like a dump. I wouldn't want to stay in nowhere where this person don't come fix nothing or help me, you know, help with certain things. So I look at it the same way. You know, a lot of people look at it a little bit different, but to me, I look at it as if these are their houses, but at the same time, we got an agreement that I take care of them and I you know, I keep the maintenance up and I manage it. You know, it's just a partnership. It does. It's doing both of us well. You guys are paying me rent every month and I'm giving you guys a very nice place to stay, you know, every month. So it's just working hand in hand. Hey, I love it, bro. So now I want to kind of get into the business side of the real estate. So how many okay. doors do you, did you say you have now? Uh, 28. So you got 28 doors. So and you say you personally manage everything yourself, right? Well, me and my assistant, I got uh, one assistant that pretty much handle a lot of groundwork. But yeah, for the most part, yeah. Okay, so you pretty much just integrated straight through the company where you just take care of everything. So what does that look like on a normal day-to-day basis? If you just would say, what a regular day, if you did have one, what does that look like for someone who would say, man, I kind of want to do what he's doing. I want to live like Josh, but they don't actually know. They just see the glamour side. What would that actual business side look like? Well, of course, the other side of the, of the coin would be a lot of uh, repairs that needs to be done. And don't get me wrong. I have a couple of crews and I have a couple of handymen that I can call. But then at some times, they may be tied up on another job or another project. And maybe they can't get there right then and there on the spot. So, I mean, me having to call three or four uh, other, you know, qualified handymen that I work with to be able to, you know, fix and address a problem or issue. I mean, tenants move out of properties. Sometimes they can leave them a, a complete mess. I'm talking about I've seen maggots in refrigerators that you have to clean out. 
carpets that have to be pulled out because of, you know, a, a real bad smells. I mean, you know, the list goes on. Um, sometimes if a tenant is late with rent, you know, filling out uh, eviction notices, just different little things, you know, you have your ins and outs. Now, one good thing is I don't have to deal with that uh, quite often, but you know, you have to, you have to be there to kind of manage certain things. I have somebody in place to manage certain things. You know, at one point, um, I almost got my insurance taken off for one of my properties because I didn't realize the tenant had so much trash and debris and stuff in the backyard to, you know, even a situation like that where your insurance company will call you and say, basically, we're going to get rid of your insurance if, you know, um, we don't get the debris and all that kind of stuff, you know, cleaned up, fixed up, you know. So it's, um, you got to treat it, I mean, you got to treat it like a business and you got to make sure that, you know, all your properties in good standing, good shape, especially Section 8 properties. And that's pretty much it, man. I mean, it's, it's if you have your good days, you have your bad days. But for the most part, my good days overdo my bad days because I can sit home and not have nothing to do. And for the most part, I don't work on my properties personally. A lot of time when I do my fix and flips, I may drive to my properties and I'll do, you know, certain things. I may pressure wash my own house or do certain little things to kind of cut costs. But for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much free, man. Just ride around and look at properties, <laughs> hit the gym, you know, things like that. <laughs> so just mentioned another uh, important thing I wanted to touch on the fix and flips. Cause I remember you told us you did some off camera. What did that first one look like for you? Because I know a lot of people, they say that first flip is, is that that's monster. You learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, man. So when I found out about uh, private lenders, mm-hmm. right? So that's where a lot of people who want to get in, into real estate investing as cash buyers, they don't realize that a lot of cash buyers don't necessarily mean that they have tons of money in the bank. Don't get me wrong. They have money in the bank. But mm-hmm. the biggest thing is having access to money, picking up the phone call, picking up the phone and making one phone call to have access to you know, $100,000, $120,000, But to go back to answer your question, the first flip that I ever done, it was an old property. It was abandoned property. I was just basically driving around and I knew the owners. Um, she was an elderly lady and she had uh, three daughters and they stayed in Atlanta. So I, I reached out to them on Facebook and I said, hey, your mom, old house, um, are you guys interested in selling it? At first it was, no, we're not interested in selling it. I'm saying this house is the ugliest house on the block. Like it's, it just looked bad. You know, you guys want to go ahead and sell this. When I mean, last time y'all been down here to check this property out, you know? And, um, so anyway, some time went by, maybe six, seven months went by. Then they hit me up and she said, well, mom want to sell the house. I said, okay. Um, but what's some numbers that you guys are looking at? You know, you know, by the house. She said, I don't know. You just give us the number. I said, well, it's a nice brick house. It's beat up pretty bad. Um, I said, $10,000. And um, she said, no, I'm sorry. I said, $8,000. She said, well, I was hoping we can get a little bit more than that. What about twelve? And I said, well, I think the best I can do on this one is 10. So then we made uh, arrangements, $10,000, put the property on the contract, sent it over to my attorneys. And... Me already knowing, I already knew that this house and the property and all that good stuff is worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So I got it for ten, and I already knew if I put 
about thirty-five to $40,000 into this house, then we're going to be in position to go ahead and flip this money. And, you know, <laughs> we're going to be in position to be all in for $50,000 and sell the house, you know, for one fifty. So anyway, what I did was got the house, purchased the house from them, got the house fixed up, basically just put it on the market because I had a person that was going to do my roof. Well, basically I had a person that did the whole house. They did the whole house for me, but he subcontracted the roof and did the heat and air and all that good stuff. So this house, I upgraded this house completely, 100%, and um, and sold it, man, for a big deal, you know. So you put 35 into it, and you made $105,000 on yeah. top of it. No, you, made, you put 45 in all together, came out with 105k profits after that. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. That's pressure. Yeah, that was the first one, man. And then that was like, it was, it was crazy, man. But I tell a lot of people that your real wealth comes in at, uh, you know, owning the property. And I became a master at the birth strategy. I want to say pretty much before I even realized it was called the birth strategy, you know? So basically you buy a particular piece of real estate. So now, for example, let me break it down like this. Uh, let's see, let's just go back to, I'm going to say the property I just purchased before this other one. So let's say this, I bought this property for 37, five, Right. I bought this property for thirty seven thousand five hundred. As a matter of fact, I got a video on one of my feeds on Instagram mm-hmm. that's showing the check that I used to buy this particular property. So I bought it for thirty seven five brick house, three bedroom, two bath. I just got that house appraised last week and it came back at one twenty four. Right now, when I bought it for thirty seven five, only thing I did was got out one of the master bed. I got out the master bathroom put a new bathroom in there basically. And um, everything else was pretty much good to go. I painted all the walls and that was pretty much it. So now I'm in the position now we're doing a cash out refinance on that property. So I'm not sure if you guys understand the, how the cash out refinance process works. So I got the house for 37, five, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now I put a tenant. Well, first of all, I rehab the house. I fix it up, mm-hmm. fix up the bathroom, paint the walls, did all that good stuff. Now I'm putting a tenant into this property at $900 a month. And then now I'm going to refinance this property and I'll be getting up to 75% of the actual price, which is 124,000. So if we do the math on that, so we say the house is worth 124 times 75%. That's $93,000 that they'll write me a check for baseball. Let me take this back. It won't be necessarily 93 because you're going to have different fees that come out, you know, title searches, all that stuff. Yeah. Title searches, lawyer fees, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to deduct this. I'm going to deduct six grand off of this whole 93. So I'll be getting a check pretty much cut out for me for $87,000, you know, and I'm going to keep the tenant in the property still paying me $900 a month. I'm going to get a check for $87,000 that I can do whatever I want to do with it. But of course, I'm going to put it back into real estate to invest more in real estate. And that's the birth strategy. So you, you buy the property. Cash on that property. Yeah, I'm still cash flowing on it because my rent on that particular property is probably going to be about $530, you know, a month. And, and I'm making nine. Whenever you burn out, are you doing shorter term mortgages, like 15 year mortgages? 30, 30 years. 
Okay. 30 years. So you buy the property, you rehab the property, you rent the property out, and you refinance the property. And then you pretty much just repeat the process. And that's what I did my first two properties I ever done. And, um, you know, continue to build capital and grow my portfolio along with fixing and flipping properties. So with that, though, I know sometimes some people, I've heard some people, you know, argue, don't burn because you're over leveraged and everything. How, if, if there's some inexperienced investors that are listening to this, what's some steps they need to take to actually make oh, sure that, oh boy, they, yeah, that they over leverage? Okay. Well, um, the biggest thing I do is when I look at a property, I first look at it. Do I like the property? And then pretty much I'll look at the price of the property. So I'm what you call a tier three real estate investor. So when you're a tier three real estate investor, you only have to put down 10% of the actual price to buy the property and to fix the property up. You don't have to put down 10% and the private lenders are, um, you know, fund the rest of the 80, well, 90% basically. But, um, what I would tell them is to actually make sure you make an equity your best friend because you make money on the buy. You make money when you buy the property. You don't make money waiting on to see if the economy is going to fluctuate or, mm-hmm. or for me, you know, if I, I think maybe if I was in some big high markets like New York or like, you know, LA or some way, then I may be investing and in looking more so at the market to fluctuate, you know, economy up and down type stuff. But for me, I make money on the buy. So I know, Usually I buy properties 35 to 40% on the dollar. So I already know that I got a huge equity spread of about $60,000 or better. You know, so you, when, you, when you're in a position like that, you don't worry a whole lot about over leveraging because the property is going to sell or the property definitely is going to rent. And you got a huge equity spread that you can always tap into refinance that particular property if you ever want to put money in your pocket. You know, you got to know your market. Know if it's a renter's market you know, it's just a lot to know, you know, if a lot of people is buying in that area, that may not be the best place to go and try to search for rental properties. You know, you want to be in an area where renting is very heavy, you know, and that's why they always say it's a lot of money in the hood because you're going to get cheap. You can get cheap properties. You're always going to have tenants, even if it's going to be Section 8 tenants, regular tenants. Everybody's always looking for a place to rent. And you can always use that same property that you got in the hood for $15,000 or $20,000 that everybody is running from. You buy it for 20 and it's worth 85 or 90, you know, and then you can always pull that money, that 75% of that $90,000 out to invest in other markets or to use that money to leverage, to buy more fix and flips. Because when you do fix and flips, you do got to have some money, some skin in the game. You know, and like I say, with the 10%, 20%, the closing costs, different little things. You're going to have to have some type of, you know, some type of money, you know, you know, to do fix and flips. <laughs> hey, my brother's been dropping gems on gems on gems, man. For real, for real. And I do have another question. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. I did kind of want to get into... So, 
what do you think you just mentioned like it's gold in the hood and a lot of people always running from investing in the hood what do you think the importance of is the importance of us investing in our hoods and what do you think that does to combat the narrative of gentrification man i tell you i think the hood is just hood is just amazing man the hood is where, where all the gold is at you see a lot of people want to run away from the hood but that's why you realize that there's a lot of gentrification going on because they understand that the money and everything is right in the hoods. And usually the hood is right outside of a big metropolitan city. It's right outside of that. So they already know if they want the city to look good, they know that they have access and they have the right to appreciate this land to the skies. Because like I said, it's right outside the big city. So if you make that a suburban area and you make that an area that's, that's beautiful and you have tourists and everybody that come in, that's gold mine. You know, it's gold mine. Either way you look at it, it's gold mine. Even if you're not necessarily um, using that section to actually renovate a whole house, you could actually, as an investor, you could use it to have positive cash flow every month. And you can use it, like I always say, to take money out of that, put it in your pocket and use for whatever else you want to invest in, you know? So it's, I mean, it's just amazing. I think a lot of us need to jump on board and, you know, come together. I mean, put your money together. There's a lot of investors out there, man, that um, I don't know, man. I just think there's a lot of fluff going on when it comes to real estate investing, man. You got a lot of people saying they're doing this and they're doing that. They're making this, they're making that. But, I mean, it's not true, you know. That's why I don't mind doing certain things. I don't post every single check and stuff that I make. But at the same time, I want people to realize and know that I really do this, you know, in real life. You know, and you got a lot of people that just create courses just so people can buy into their courses. They become almost like a salesman. They're mm-hmm. not real real estate investors. They sell a course, they sell a program, and have people continue to buy, continue to buy, continue to buy. And that's how they make their living. They don't make their living off real estate. You know, it's weird to think about. <laughs> it's weird to think about, man. It's like somebody coming up and saying, look, man. Instagram, I make $100,000 a week investing in real estate. The first person to hear that is going to believe it. Yeah. They're going to say, wow, I want to sign up to his program, to his course. Now his course, three or $4,000, and you ain't got nothing out of the course. <laughs> but some basic information you could have found on YouTube. You could have got it off YouTube, man. You could have <laughs> got it off YouTube. It's sad, though, man. It's sad because people are now, they need capital. They need capital. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if you want to wholesale properties and that's a good way to get started, but wholesaling always keep you working. Wholesaling mm-hmm. always keep you grinding. You're looking for the next deal. You got to drive for dollars for this one. You got the PPC list for that one. You got to go down to the courthouse and get probate or either look up probate on the phone. You know, it's, it's just always keep you working and grinding. And I'm just so glad I never took the actual, I never took that route. I used to always feel some kind of way about a wholesaler calling himself a real estate investor. Because to me, I think a real estate investor is somebody who invests their money in real estate for a long-term residual income. Mm-hmm. That's how I always look at it. But it's not my call to say what's an investor or what's not. I usually try to stay in my own lane and, you know, do what I got to do. But I mean, He's people like- need capital. If you need capital, then you need to know the right private lenders to go to. You know, but how, they don't, they're not going to tell you that, though. How do you find like a private lender or a hard money lender? 
Well, to be honest with you, man, in order to find a private lender, hard money lender, you need to partner up with somebody that actually does it for real so they can introduce you to their private lenders, hmm. introduce you to their, you know, the people that they have access to. You know, right now I got 12. Now I got, I do a one-on-one mentorship program that I introduce my students to, you know, my private lenders, you know, and once I reach out to them, and like I say, I'm a tier three investor with these companies. So it won't be a problem when I introduce them to one of my mm-hmm. private lenders. They know that this student is in place. This student pretty much got all the debt to income ratio in line. The credit score is in line. You know, everything is pretty much in line in order for them to be able to excel and, you know, continue to grow. Hmm. Because that's what that's how I got started. You know, I didn't get started with wholesaling and, and things of that nature. But that's why I'm in the position I'm in now. And I can wake up when I get ready because I don't have to worry about hustling and bustling for, you know, for money. You know, I'm more so attract money rather than chase money, mm. you know. A boy. <laughs> <A bar. laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we're going to get, y'all got something, Kelly or Jack? Oh, I just have a question on, like, how did you learn the ins and outs of, like, the real estate business as far as, like, uh, valuating the property? How did you know what your, your income ratio should, or debt to income ratio should be when you're doing these refinances? How did you, what was the course I guess you took to learn those, that process? Well, to be honest with you, man, I never took a course. So this is what I did when I was sacrificing. I went to the local banks and I spoke with the lenders at the bank. I pretty much told them what I wanted to do, what was my vision, right? So at the same time, I also realized that these local banks, these traditional regular banks, they couldn't help me. But I knew that they were going to put me in position to be able to deal with private lenders, you know, if I had to ever deal with them. And that was pretty much my goal and plan to be able to leverage my money. But I actually went to the bankers, man. A lot of people, I tell a lot of people, don't be scared to walk in there. If you bank with Bank of America, walk in Bank of America. Go in there, speak with uh, a representative or whatever, talk to them and tell them your plan for next year. And it's almost like schoolwork. It's almost like school. They're going to give you all the ins and outs when it comes to your credit score, when it comes to your um, debt to income ratio, when it comes to just different things. And if you can pass that test, the private lenders would be a walk in the park because when you're getting traditional funding from the bank, they got to go through Freddie Mac and uh, Fannie Mae in order to give money. When you're dealing with private lenders, you don't have to, you know, they don't deal with the government. The money don't come from the government. That's how you're able to get the money real quick within two to three weeks, you know, compared to going to a regular bank. First of all, if a real estate investor ever tell you that they can go to this a regular Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and all these type of places to get funding for investment properties, they're not a real real estate investor. They're lying. Because those banks... They will never fund you money to be able to buy investment properties. They don't do that. You got to go to banks that specialize in real estate investors. And that's more so private lenders, hard money lenders, you know. And then you have some banks that do it, but you really don't want to go that route because the very first time I did my refinance, it was with a company. But one of the first times I did refinance, it was with a company called Movement Mortgage. You know, Movement Mortgage, they've done it, and they're more so like a, they're not a traditional bank, but, you know, they're a bank, but they're not like a typical bank. They're the Freddie Mae, Freddie Mac, all those guys. 
they got to go to the top to get their money to be able to, you know, give it to you. So with that being said, it's so much you got to have in line and situated before they even lend you money. And then it's going to show up on your personal credit report. That debt going to show up on your personal credit report. If you finance a property in your personal name, it's going to show up on your uh, credit report. The stuff that I do now, everything is in my business. None of that shows up on my personal credit report. So that's always a big plus, you know, a big, a big, a big difference, you know. Last section. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get to our last section of the podcast. It's uh, what's on your timeline, my brother. So uh, we just want to know anything that you saw on your timeline. It could be funny, something important, just anything you felt like speaking on. Uh, so whatever you got, my brother. And if you need a few minutes to scroll and see. Let me see, man. Well, I tell you what, the whole uh, the whole Gail King situation. Yeah, man, that was uh, <laughs> that was something to uh, <laughs> that that was interesting, man. I don't know, man. I feel sorry for Kobe's family that had to hear, you know, these negative, you know, negative comments and negative responses about something like that. You know, we all human. We all make mistakes. You know what I mean? But that's nothing that I thought she should have put on the a major platform like that to talk about. Yeah, then like, especially that that little too little too late response talking about some I'm embarrassed, but like, like the videotape don't lie. Like you in here pressing about the shit. Like yo, right? You do it. And I, you trying to insinuate it, and it's like at this point you can't even honestly try to act like you didn't intend to do this. So yeah, so right. Gail, like she out of the wall. She, she, she. I ain't fucking with Gail no more. She out of my. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all hear Snoop response? <laughs> I think I did hear Snoop response, man. I think I forgot what he, what he said though, but I think I did hear something. He had on the jersey, right? Didn't he have on the Kobe jersey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I forgot what he said. What he said, Jay? Man, look, hey, we ain't gonna get inside. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm about to go look at it. We just don't leave it at he went a little ham, but I, I was just gonna ask how y'all felt about that too. <laughs> I see it. Man, you but, know Snoopy Snoopy in his own world, man. So you know <laughs> Snoop gonna Snoop gonna let it be known how he feel. Real life, real life. About to look it up right now. Yeah, look at this dude, he trying to find it. Man, you know I was out of whack this this whole week, man. He probably took it off. Hey, hey. Was hey, what's, some things, what's some things y'all got to ask me, man, as far as um like some more real estate stuff, man? I know y'all want to know, man. I know y'all hungry, man. What's, what's up, man? Ask me anything you want to know except certain things you have to pay for. But for the most part, <laughs> man, y'all can, you know, y'all can ask me whatever y'all want to ask me, man. Like I said, man, I'm honored to be on y'all show, man. And, you know, drop some jewels, man. Drop some gems, you know? I got a question. Uh you suggest being the best route to do an uh, out-of-state investor? You said what would be the best route to uh, help them? Yeah, well, what is the best route to uh, being an out-of-state investor? Okay, well, the biggest thing is, so now you got uh, wholesalers calling themselves real estate investors, which they are, I guess, in a sense. They are real estate investors. You got buy-and-hold investors, and you got fix-and-flip investors. So when you ask that question, you're more so speaking on like a buy-and-hold type investor or? Yeah, a buy-and-hold. Okay. 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 So I think the biggest thing is just to make sure that I will more so say, make sure that you actually have eyes on that particular property before you buy it. 
because sometimes when you're looking online and all that good stuff, you see a totally different ball game. Even if you use Google Maps, you look down the road, when you actually go to a property in person, sometimes it could be completely different from what you thought you saw online. I actually been in a situation where I bought a property off of auction.com. It was listed three bedroom, two baths. However, I still bought the property because I didn't have interior access to getting to the property because a lot of these auctions, they don't allow you to go inside of them. Mm -hmm. So when I went there to the auction, it was a three bedroom, two bath. I'm thinking I'm buying a three bedroom, two bath for a good price. When I actually got inside the property and look at it, it was a two bedroom, one bath. Now, yeah. what they did was they tore out one of the bedrooms and made it like a, a area where you put like a fireplace and they did some modifications to the house. But only thing that everybody knew that it was a three bedroom, two bath. So, you know, it's um, I'm going to give you all I'm going to give you a big secret. Man. I'm going to give you a big gem, man. A real big gem. And this go for any type of real estate investor, too. I don't know if I should share it, but I'm going to share it. So they got these people called property preservation people, right? And these property preservation people, they have keys to get inside pretty much all REO, all government type properties. Mm -hmm. So when you order your own property preservation keys, then when you go look at these properties that's bank owned, you don't got to worry about breaking no windows to get inside or, crap, or trying to break in through the door. You can just mm. walk inside the house, look at the property, fully evaluate it and say, OK, well, I know I'll put I'll go as high as, you know, 55,000 on this property. I already see that this property I already need $10,000 worth of work, you know. So basically, you got an upper edge on pretty much all your competition or all your, you know, people that's, you know, in your market that's, you know, buying properties or whatever, too, because you got a heads up on them because you actually went inside the property. You're already going to tally up your numbers as far as how much work need to be done. So you're in a pretty good, a pretty good space. And I've been doing that for years. I ordered these keys. Now, don't get me wrong. It is, it could be considered against the law in a sense. But if you're a real estate investor, I mean, the worst part is somebody going to come out, they're going to call the sheriff out. You explain to the sheriff, hey, look, I'm in the process of buying this property. And I mean, they'll let you walk, you know. But for the most part, you should be in pretty good shape to walk in and out of a house. You shouldn't have to throw a party there and have everybody there in the world. You pretty much in there to handle business and you back out, mm -hmm. you know, and it just gave me a great edge. A lot of times, like I say, a lot of properties that you see that's even out of state, you will go and you can, uh, you know, you purchase these properties online. But I think the biggest thing to answer your question is to actually make sure you have, you know, feet on the ground that you're actually doing it. Or you have somebody that you trust that can take pictures for you, updated pictures. So, you know, pretty much what you're buying. And you also need to know your market, that area where you're buying that property at. You know, you need to know pretty much your comps. You need to know where two houses down, three houses down, that's three bedroom, two bath. So how do they measure up with your property? So you can pretty much know the after repair value. You can also go to your local county online and go in, and you can uh, go to like the GIS mapping. You can look at pretty much what the county assessed that property at. So it's different ways you can tell pretty much the upside of a property, you know, your comps. Or you can even hire you an appraiser to go out there and just give you an appraisal price on it. I mean, a typical appraisal price might be $325, but at the same time, if you don't have no idea at all, call an appraiser to go out there and look how much money he's actually, you paying him $325, but you can't look at the $325 you're paying him. You more so need to look at, wow, look at the information he just gave me. He just really gave me all my comps, 
he done gave me 71 pages full of documents about this particular property and the land. And that was only like $350, $375, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Usually it's about that much, about $375 to $400. And I got all the information on this property. So I know the real life after repair value on this property because the appraiser can do that. They'll give you an actual price of the property right now in its current condition. And he'll give you a price as far as when you fix it up and get it uh, repaired and fixed up a price. Mm. So it's very beneficial to do that also, yeah. you know, and just pretty much know your equity spread, man. That's the biggest thing for me. Man, it pays to know how to purchase knowledge. You really, that's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. I was just looking at auction.com. They got some good shit on there. <laughs> yeah, you go to, uh, go to auction.com and type in your city. Type oh, I just did. <laughs> type, in, type in your county. And you will see all those properties short. Those are bank-owned property. Man. <laughs> those bank-owned property. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and another one is um like HubZoo, H-U-B-Z-U. Okay. That's another awesome one that I bought some properties from. So okay, the other one, is, a, one more thing with the bank-owned properties. So do you see any, like... Any more challenges buying bank owned properties than other ones? Like, or like, do, do they end up being in worse condition normally or better condition than whatever you buy just like off the fair street market? Um, well, one thing about bank owned properties, they usually have a property preservation team that will go through there and fix up little things here and there for them. So that's different from buying a property that you want to buy from uh, as a wholesale type deal and the owner of the property stays in New York and, and they le- there was left a property in South Carolina. They'll never go back and you know, fix up the debt. They'll no go, never go back and fix up that broken window that was broken up, you know, or do certain things. Least bank on properties, usually they'd be already cleaned out, trashed out. Usually don't be no trash inside of them. They usually, if, if it's two steps missing on the front porch, they have a property preservation person that goes there, fix the two, you know, fix the two steps on there. So to answer your question, I feel that you will get more bang for your buck by buying a bank on property than you would as far as buying a property wholesale. But don't get me wrong, it's a lot of great deals wholesale too. But if you're a wholesaler, you're not keeping the property unless you do like a hotel deal. And then they buy the property as a wholesale and bring it inside and rent it out or, you know, fix it and flip it or do what they want to do. But a lot of people are just wholesalers. That means they're going to pass that property on to a cash buyer, you know, such as myself. So, you know, bank owned probably would be the best, but they got property preservation people that will come out and, you know, clean that property up and all that good stuff, you know. Damn, for sure. So anybody that's trying to get into real estate, definitely y'all go and look into these resources. Man, yeah. Josh. My, my man's just dropped some. So yeah. yeah, and to be honest with you, man, it's very simple, right? So the biggest thing is knowing how much equity you got in the property when you buy it. You can go to some place, like I just say, like auction.com. You can see when the auction about to come up on the property. It's an online auction. You got to register and all that good stuff. And when you buy this, for example, you buy that property for 55. First of all, you already know when it's coming up in the auction. So go view that property. You can go look at it, you know, and I already told you the ways you can go inside and look at it. If you want, you know, if you choose that route, if not, you can look through the windows or, you know, whatever floats your boat. And then you look at that particular property. The next thing you want to do after that is look at the after repair value of that property. Now, once you look at the property, it's a decent property. The after repair value in that particular property, for example, is $150,000. Now, auction.com, the auction has started. Who needs an alarm in the morning 
when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, you already know that a house is valued about $150,000 once you fix it up. So you want to be in the range of about 35 to 40% with buying that particular property from $150,000. So to answer that question, what that number need to be, I'll say $150,000. Now, you not you might want to go up as high as now on what I got, I'm saying $67,500. But you might want to go up to, let's say, $71,000, $72,000. You still got good room, still got a lot of good equity built up in that property. So now you go up on the option and you go all the way up to, let's say, $80,000. The property is worth $150,000. Minus $80,000, you got $70,000 spread of equity you got right there in that particular property. Now, when you actually purchase this property and you don't have the whole $70,000 to do it, you can use private lending. That You can use the private lender for that particular property to buy that property and to fix the property up. So, for example, the property is going for, say the property is going for $80,000. You already know it's going to take you about $20,000 of work to put in that property to get it like you want to. So now you're at $100,000. You go get a loan from a private lender. You put down 20%. They'll furnish the rest. For me, it's only 10%, and they'll furnish the 90 But So they furnish the whole remaining of the money. They'll fix the house up for you. they do all that good stuff. And when I say fix it up for you, I mean... Basically, you fix it up, you pay for it. They cut you a check for what you say you've done, basically, throughout your whole property. You know, so once they fix it up, get everything ready, you put the house up for sale. Now you have to pay them back that money that they lend you. You know, for example, if the house going for 150, they let you borrow um, $100,000. So basically, you pay them back their $100,000 and you keep the remaining minus closing costs and all that stuff. And it's going to be a little interest to that, too. So there might be 103000 you might owe them back out of the 150. So now you got 47000 left over. And then you have to pay out the, you know, your lawyer fees, all that good stuff, all your attorney fees. So you're still going to walk away with probably about forty two, about $40,000 out of the deal. And you just made $40,000. And that, that's somebody's salary. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's keep that. Let's talk like it lightly. That's somebody's salary. So for in, sure. In one deal, man. In one deal. One deal could change your life. One deal, man. Yeah, you got that was just always the way I did it, man. I always just kind of did it that way. Yeah, this man Jalen over here looking on auction.com showing me deals. (laughs) You got us hungry and excited. (laughs) It's working, man. I'm telling you, man. It's a gold mine. It's just a matter of, um, you know, finding that right. You know, if you don't have the cash on you personally, finding that right private lender that you work with, build a relationship with, and they pretty much, you know, give you, you know, like I say, up to, you know, 80% of the deal. You know, you just got to make sure your credit scores in pretty good shape, your debt to income ratio. They want to see how long you had money is in the bank. You want to look at the last two months bank statements. Once they look at the last two months bank statements, see that you had the right reserves in the bank. Your credit score is pretty good. Your uh, LLC is in good standing. You know, see, a lot of times that's, that's stuff people ain't going to tell you about. Your LLC got to be in good standards. You can't have no liens. You can't have no judgments. You know, everything got to be, you know, in pretty good shape with your LLC. And then once you got those three or four factors together, you're pretty much ready to close, man. 
and you're doing like a cash out refund or something like that. Hey, I love it. It's very easy, man. It's very easy and simple, but it's deep too. It, you know, it's you know, you got to think a little bit too. But um, but yeah, I had a lot of investors. They go from wholesaling and they want to go to be a cash buyer. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's separating them is basically the capital. They don't know how to actually obtain the capital to be able to hold on to a property for ownership for the rest of their life and the kids' life and everybody else's life, you know. And that's the important part, passing it on yeah. to the kids and making sure that it lasts for generations, man. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. See, a lot of times, see, I'm going to ask you this question right quick. How many times did it let, how many times can any one of us go and get a college loan? Pretty easy, right, to go to school. You know, so they let you get in that debt for hundreds of thousands of dollars. But then you want to get into, for example, good debt. So it's different between good debt and bad debt. You know, to me, buying a new car and all that stuff, things that are uh, going to depreciate over time, that's considered bad debt. Mm-hmm. But see, now they don't let everybody get in debt. They only let, if you think about this and think about it right, they only let the rich get in debt. And when I say debt, I mean good debt, right? So if you want to start, for example, if I ask you right now, if you want to start a nice big restaurant and the restaurant is going to cost like 1.3 million to get started, mm-hmm. how are you going to come up with the money? You're going to have to go in debt in order to be able to purchase this restaurant, get it running, hire your whole staff, everything for the 1.3, 1.5 million. Mm-hmm. But most people think that they have to come out their pocket or they have to save a certain amount of money to get started in certain situations like that. The whole kill is using other people's money. So you have to go in debt. We've always been taught to get out of debt, stay out of debt, you know, but I think my biggest thing is I don't want the dumb debt. I don't want car debt. I don't want um, jewelry debt. I don't want a bunch of like unnecessary debt. I want debt that's going to allow me to be able to get rich. That, a debt that's going to allow you to be able to grow. Mm-hmm. When they say Donald Trump, is trillions of dollars in debt or billions of dollars in debt. I'm sorry, billions of dollars in debt. That's because he go in debt to get money that who helped, who paid back? You know, we do when we go to his hotel, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it is that they're starting up. You know, so it's, it's about getting in debt and then letting people pay your debt down. You know, if you're starting a big brand new Walmart, they didn't do that in their pocket. You build a big old building like that, but who paid the debt? So if we do, we go in there and buy this and buy that, buy socks, whatever we buy from out of Walmart, we just cutting the debt down. That's just like having a mortgage on the property. When your tenant is paying you every month, they just paying down your debt. And then in due time, it allows you to be able to Start take all the money. money that they put in and refinance that money for another big chunk of money to put somewhere else to make more money work for you. Just a big you know, ass game. That's all it is. It's a big game of a people that has access to be able to get in debt. It sounds crazy, but when you have access to getting in debt, I mean, okay, I see a mobile home park right now that I'm interested in. And the mobile home park is 1.5 million, right? But I know I only have to put down 20% of that money and private lenders will um, you know, pay the rest. So if you're just a regular person, your first mind is going to say, okay, I have to come up with 1.3 million. No, you don't have to come up with 20% of that, you know? And if you want 20% of it, have access to debt, have access to money, have access to capital. And that's what it all depends on. You got to have access to debt, access to capital. And it's crazy if you think about it, man, because everybody don't have access to getting debt, 
to getting to get they won't allow them to do it. Mm-hmm. It sounds crazy, right? So you think debt is a bad thing, but if it's a bad thing, why everybody can't get it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why everybody complaining saying, "Man, they won't give me a loan. They won't give me a business loan. They won't give me this. They won't give me that." How you think? Because they you know, know you ain't gonna have the money to pay it back or the means right, to pay it back. Right. You ain't qualified enough to be able to get in debt, sir. <laughs> <laughs> And how does that sound? You know what I mean? But they'll let you go to college for free. They'll let you get right. all kind of debt to go to college. They'll let you go get that car loan real quick, too. That car loan, too? I'm talking about real quick. Shit. So what that tell you? That tell you, that tell you that they allow you to get in bad debt, but they will not allow you to get in good debt. Because we cry all day long, man, you know, they won't give me a, they won't give me a loan to be able to start this business. I can't start that business. Hmm. Because you're not qualified enough in order for them, you know, to, to pass the checklist. See, it's a checklist that you got to pass, you know, hmm. to be great, to be successful. So when you want to go talk to a banker, a private lender, anybody you want to talk to, you got to make sure your checklist is right, you know. And the checklist could be, you know, having your credit score right, your debt to income ratio right, money's in the bank, had money in the bank for longer than two months consistently to see how your business is flowing. LLC, LLC in good standing. You know, the, the kind of list goes on. But once you understand those key points and components and you got all those in, in perspective, everything else is smooth. Everything else is smooth sailing after that. But just realize that, though. Never be scared to get in debt. When you have enough knowledge about something, you won't be scared because you got confidence. With confidence come, with knowledge come confidence. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's a major, problem. man. Hey, that, 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 that's true, man. It's a lot of truth in everything you just said. And it's a message that a lot of people really, really do need to hear because we, like you said, we scare that. We program to believe that that's not the way. And that's the mission of everything that we do with this is really trying to change our way of thinking, get away from all these these misconceptions that we have about finance and about money and building wealth and really get ourselves in a space where we can start creating this wealth because the great wealth transfer is about to happen. I don't know if everybody paying attention, but a lot of people starting to kick the bucket. Then baby boom was getting up out of here. Yeah, a lot right. of them got a lot of the properties. As these people You're die, right. these properties are going to become available. That's going to be our chance. Stop waiting on the economy, as you said, and start paying attention to the opportunities. Trying yep. to get these properties on the 30 and 40%. Take the time to go yep. educate yourself. Yep. Sure. That's where it all falls down to, man. For real, for real. Man, well, Josh, we definitely appreciate you coming on the show, bro. You came through and dropped all the gems on the people. I def- I need you to let them know where they can find you, where you, what you got going on, all that. Just tell them everything, bro. Let them know what's popping. Man, I want you guys to go ahead and follow me on uh, Instagram at uh, realestate.shark. That's realestate.shark, S-H-A-R-K. Um... And I mean, right now, I mean, I'm just busy, man. Um, it's just ownership. You know, when you get a large percent of money or a large chunk of money, you always want to put it somewhere where it's going to grow and make money and make it, you know, make its own self continue to grow, you know. So I invested 30% in the uh, Juicy Crab franchise. Oh, damn. Turn up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I invested 30% in Juicy Crab franchise. I also, um, right now I got uh, two commercial cleaning companies that I run and own basically. And also with real estate, man, it's fixing and flipping properties. 
We've got a large uh, portfolio of rental properties, over 28, uh, 27, 28 properties, over 27 properties. Because I just acquired one last week on a local foreclosure auction. And um, just working, man. Uh, just want to help a lot of people, man. That's my biggest thing. Right now, I'm real comfortable where I need to be, and I, I want to continue to grow, continue to build. But I'm to the point now where I want to more so help people rather than continue to just, you know, have it all in my own. But a lot of time when I reach out to other real estate investors and I talk to them about trying to grow, trying to build, I think a lot of them shy away from me just because I feel that they know I really do this in real life. And I think a lot of them feel like they're going to get exposed because if I'm next to you, if I'm talking to you, I'm going to find out the real you. You know what I mean? So. You know, I have all my proof. I have all my HUD statements. You know, a lot of these guys, they can't show you their first HUD statement, you know, but they can just talk about it. And a lot of this stuff is just, you know, invisible to the regular person, you know. But anyway, just working, man. Just working and grinding, leveraging money. And, um, you know what I'm saying? Just want to help people, man. Help people as much as I can, man. Just teach them that there's other ways. You don't have to always be the pro ball player in yeah. order to be able to make it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because right now, to be honest with you, I go out in the VIP sections and stuff, man, and hang out. I'm right next to the same celebrities that, you know, a lot of people look up to. I can go sit floor seats at NBA games. I can, you know, I can live my life, you know, at a certain level, you know. And, you know, I ain't never played one year in the major leagues, NBA, NFL. But, you know, as far as NFL, they say, uh, you know, all that stuff is like a dream. You know, you make it to the NFL, you make it to the NBA. It's a dream. So when you make it to your dream, that means it ain't going to last forever. Hmm. But see, what I'm going to do is help a lot of those guys put money certain places so they can be set for the rest of their life. You know, I mean, those guys, one check, they can be able to buy a great deal of rental properties. Mm -hmm. So if you just think instead of them buying jewelry and a bunch of crazy, unnecessary stuff, I mean, they can start using that money and start investing in real estate. By the time they retire, mm -hmm. man, they got Man, they can have over five hundred thousand dollars a month. I mean, just off rental properties, mm -hmm. if they do. You know, and it's just—I just want to help people, man. For the most part, because I don't make money off courses, and I don't make money off of creating programs so people can buy every day. Because I'm too busy working and grinding. I'm too busy like looking at other properties and things of that nature. Now I do have a one-on-one -on -one mentorship program, but as far as just creating courses and putting it out there, so I can hope and pray a thousand people buy it. So I can pay my bills and tell people what I'm doing and this, that, and the third. I just don't believe in that, man. To me, I just, that just don't seem real to me. You know, I really feel like, you know, we need to be helping people out. In other words, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing here lately. You sign up to my mentorship program. I'm actually giving you all my private lenders. I'm giving you access to all my private lenders. And I'm giving you all the knowledge you need to be able to invest in real estate. For a fee, that's a quarter percent of what a lot of people are charging right now. And I'm just giving all that information away because I make money on real estate, not courses. And give us the link to that. We're going to put that in the, uh, yeah, we're in the, that in the show notes. notes. The people, they'll be able to get it through the podcast. Because my okay. brother got the knowledge. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. So we're going to move to a little bit of housekeeping before we wrap up the show. Uh, we just want to say thank you to all our listeners who come and listen every week. Thank you to everybody who's new, who's this first time listening to the show. We hope that you enjoyed it. We just want to say y'all definitely be on the lookout 
for our book. Go go pick up our book, Manage Your Money Like the 1%. Yes, sir. Uh, our book will be in stores pretty soon. Give us about a month, month and a half. Our book will be in the, in the stores on the shelves. Uh, it's an ebook right now. You can purchase that from the link in the show notes also. Yeah. And y'all make sure y'all check out the website, blackwellfrenaissance.com. Follow us on social media at Black Wolf Renaissance, at BWR Podcast on Instagram, Twitter at BWR underscore movement, TikTok, all these, YouTube, we everywhere. We got all the content. <laughs> one, one last thing, one last thing. What you got for Renaissance Financial Coach. Oh, yes, yes. The last thing to leave y'all with, we want to let y'all know that we are opening up our services with Renaissance Financial Coaching. We yeah. do a lot of talking about building wealth, a lot of different things. We talk to all these people, gain all this knowledge. We want to, to create a platform that we can extend to you so we can help you start getting on your path to managing your money and creating this wealth. So we are now becoming financial coaches. We're going to be accountability coaches. We always have a lot of questions um, and this is gonna be your chance to where you can talk to us once a week. Once a week, we're gonna help you set up a budget. We're gonna help you set up a spending plan. We're gonna help you set up a debt repayment plan. And we're gonna actually help you start taking back control of your life. So Take the actions, the steps, the all that. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, we got a cool mascot we, we created for this. Huey. It's our man, Huey. <laughs> Coming out. Uh, so we definitely can't wait for the world to see this. And uh, on that note, this is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out. <laughs> I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs, you know what I'm on Who needs an alarm in the morning When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles And a breakfast cutoff Ba-da-ba-ba-ba